Well, if you brought uh, God's book with you, say amen. And let me invite you to open with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. If you're visiting, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. And this morning, we focus our attention on Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Matter of fact, we begin a brand new series of messages entitled Upgrade. And the topic this morning is really how to upgrade your prayer life. And so we want to talk specifically on how we can take steps to deepen our prayer life with the Lord God. So Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, you've got it there. Say amen. And open with me in honor of uh, his word. Stand with me. Let's read that and see what the scripture says. The Bible says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Let's bow together. Father, this morning we pray that the Holy Spirit would reign supreme in this place, that no uh, devil from hell would be able to keep back what you desire to speak clearly to your people. So we pray against the enemies of darkness, trusting wholly in the Spirit of God to deliver the Word in such a fashion that it would honor you, in such a fashion that it would mature your believers. And God, I pray in the name of Christ that you would fill me with your Spirit as well. And Lord, you grant me the ability from heaven to deliver what you desire uh, for your namesake and for your glory. Draw people to salvation. Uh, speak clearly to our hearts, and we'll give you praise for it. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. Well, we all love upgrades. We live in a society where upgrade is uh, really the desire of every single object that we have. Now, just a few things that I would consider to be upgraded over the course of my own personal life. I'll kind of show you some pictures of them on the screen and see if you can remember some of the things that have happened as we have experienced upgrades uh, in our lifetime. So show me that picture up there of the old school television. Y'all remember that? Used to be that big fat box. How many of you had one of those in your house? You slip a hand up real quick. Do you have the bunny ears too? Uh, very good. You put tinfoil on the bunny ears. God bless you. That's where it's at. How many of you still have that TV? God bless all of you. There has been an upgrade. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, there are things called flat screen televisions now. You can hang those jokers on the wall. They're very sweet and uh, just a beautiful picture. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. Now there's some other upgrades too. Upgraded the cell phone. Y'all remember what they used to look like? That's right. That is Zach Morris. I don't know if you remember him on Saved by the Bell. That's the first cell phone I've ever seen in my life. He pulled it out of his cargo pants while he was in the sixth grade and talked to somebody I'm unaware of. But there has been an upgrade. Check this out. I don't know why it's an iPhone. I'm an Android user myself. Can I get an amen for Android? <laughs> well, that was very sad. Anyway, go to the next one. All right, we'll just move along. We've actually got the old school camera. Remember the Polaroid? You had to shake that joker to get the picture to show up. It's not like that anymore. We just take a little picture on something like this, a little Sony cyber shot. You can put it right online and uh, begin to email pictures all to your friends. Upgrades are where it's at. Would you agree with that? Say yes. Well, the disciples were just simply wanting an upgrade in their prayer life. They saw Jesus praying, and they're like, we want to pray just like that. Uh, teach us, just like John taught his disciples, teach us how to pray. And they had seen Jesus pray on several occasions throughout Luke's gospel already, so this wasn't the first time they had seen him. In fact, they saw Jesus pray at his baptism in Luke's gospel, chapter 3, verse 21. They saw the Lord Jesus pray during his temptation. 
In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, they saw Jesus pray uh, all night long in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And then they saw Jesus praying alone in chapter 9 and verse 18. And then in chapter 9 and verse 28, he actually prayed on top of a mountain. So he went on a mountain by himself, and there he began to lift up his prayers to God the Father. And then in Luke chapter 11, the disciples are just simply watching them, or watching him rather, and they say, we want an upgrade of our prayer life. And I think that uh, if there's any discipline that I would like to have an upgrade in my life, uh, spiritually speaking, it would be in my prayer life. So how many, how many of you would agree you would like to see your prayer life deepened, uh, more sufficient, more real? Uh, there was about five hands go up. I'm going to be preaching on this for a few weeks, so you know, let's all pretend we need it, all right? It's be good. So what exactly is prayer? You know, we kind of start off on the elementary level just so everybody's on the same page, but what is prayer? Uh, in short, prayer is simply communication with God. It's an opportunity for you and I to actually speak with the creator of heaven and earth, the supreme king over the entire universe. God is the one that we speak to. You know, E.M. Bounds has written many books on prayer, and he describes prayer in this way, and I quote, he says, prayer lays hold uh, of the Almighty and moves him to do what he would not otherwise do if prayer was not offered. What great things are accomplished by this divinely appointed means of grace. You know, there are some things that God chooses not to do uh, because his children do not pray. But there are some things that God chooses to do because his children do indeed pray. And I want to be an individual that speaks to God and has the opportunity to see him work not only in my life but also in the lives of others. And so I pray uh, not only specifically for me but I also pray for the life of this fellowship and uh, one thing that I continue to pray is that we wouldn't become a dead church. It is uh, so epidemic in our day and time where churches have just become dead. And we don't want to become a dead church. And so I pray against that in the name of Christ. But that's the definition of prayer. It's just simply communication with God. But you know, we go a step further and realize that prayer is indeed a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline of the disciples' life. As we know, we're called here to make disciples everywhere, those who worship, reach, grow, and serve. Well, in the context of worship, reaching, growing, and serving, prayer is really the glue that holds all of that together. It is our communication with Almighty God. But you know, the Bible teaches us that as we pray, we actually grow in our relationship with God. It's like any other relationship. You want to get to know someone, you spend time with them. You have conversations with them. There's a give and take, an exchange of uh, information so that you can grow in your knowledge of that person. They also can get to know you. It's the same thing with God. It is communication. We're spending time speaking with the God of heaven and earth. And through that, we grow in our knowledge of who he is. But you know, the Bible actually teaches us that God commands us to pray. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, where God says, Call to me, and I will answer you. Hey, by the way, that's a good promise, right? Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so there's a command from God to you and I as individuals in the context of the church that we would speak to God. And also we know Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 that we are to pray without ceasing. 
that literally gives the imagery of praying over and over and often. It speaks of having a continual attitude of prayer, continually giving our attention to Almighty God through conversation throughout our day-to-day lives. So prayer isn't something we simply do when we show up to church. Prayer is a lifestyle for the disciple where we're speaking to God back and forth throughout the day. And I guess a great modern-day example of that would be how we text one another on our cell phones. Have y'all noticed that you send more texts nowadays? Uh, nobody wants to actually talk, right? But anyway, so we just send texts. But you can carry on an entire conversation all day long with an individual just through text messaging. Oftentimes, Krista and I, my wife, that's how we communicate throughout the day. She'll shoot me a little text. I'll shoot her one back, back and forth. And we are communicating. There's an open line of communication. It's the same deal with God, uh, minus the texting, all right? But it is the same deal with God where we are spending time uh, speaking to him throughout the day, listening to him as he seeks to guide us. So prayer is communication with God. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. And now out of all of the spiritual disciplines, I would say this is one I have to pay most close attention to personally. For me, all the spiritual disciplines on the table, prayer loves to try to crawl off and get away from me. So I have to pay very close attention to this. I think this is probably true of most of us who are very action-oriented, and we are those individuals who like to get things done and to do things. Well, I love what E.M. Bounds actually teaches about prayer. He says, oftentimes we don't see prayer as a work, but prayer is the work. And so it is indeed a spiritual discipline, and we have to pay close attention to it. So over the next uh, few weeks, Lord willing, what I'd love to do is draw all of our attention as believers in Christ to uh, how we should deepen our prayer life with the Lord. So we're going to spend time on that over the next few weeks. And my prayer has been that all of us will be deepened in our walk with Christ, that we will be revived, so to speak, as we spend time with him, listening to him, speaking to him, and experiencing an upgrade in our prayer life. So what the disciples wanted, that's what I want. Is that what you want? Say yes. Let's all get an upgrade over the next few weeks in our prayer life. Now, whenever you begin to talk about an upgrade, you want to ask an upgrade from what? You know, we saw the pictures. You had the fat TV. You had the big Polaroid camera. You had uh, Zach Morris's cell phone. That was an upgrade from something to something. So when the disciples are asking, Lord, teach us how to pray like that, They're wanting an upgrade from what they have been seeing. So the question becomes, what have they been seeing? Well, it's pretty interesting. They want an upgrade in two major ways. First of all, they want an upgrade from hypocritical showmanship. That's what they were used to seeing. So these disciples would spend time in synagogues. They would spend time in the temple. And whenever they would go into the synagogue and the temple, what they would begin to witness are individuals who were highly spiritual and religious, and they would pray with one eye open. Anybody know why they had one eye open? Because they wanted to see who was watching them act spiritual. So they were hypocrites. They were going in the context of an audience that they might pray and others would see and hear them and automatically assume that those people are more religious than the person who's doing the watching themselves. Jesus calls those individuals out as well. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 5, he says this, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Did y'all hear that say yes? So Jesus is like, when you pray, don't act like a hypocrite. And then he goes on and says, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. 
Now, the word hypocrite is the same word used to describe an actor who is on stage. Now, when we were little and go to the supermarket, they used to put all of our groceries in those big brown paper sacks. Do y'all remember those? Say yes. Everybody's attention here. Remember the brown paper sacks? Can I get a witness? But they were awesome. We would get back to the house, and they would uh, get all the groceries out of it, and then immediately the kids would jump on the brown paper sacks. Now, we've upgraded now. We have plastic sacks, right? You put those on your head, you'll suffocate. But anyway, so... Uh, the brown paper bag, though, you could take that, you could draw little eyes on it, a little mouth on it. Before you know, you created a mask that you could put on. Did y'all do this? I feel like I'm the only one up here because nobody's going, oh, yes, we did that. Everybody's just going, what? <laughs> but we would put those on our head, or I would, and then, you know, I would run around and scare my sister. Nobody did that either. But anyway, so... uh. That was always tons of fun for me, but the reality is what I was doing is I was putting on a mask to look like someone that I was not. Jesus says, when I go to the synagogues and the temples, that's all I see, a bunch of brown paper bags. And we've got to be very careful that our fellowship does not become that. That is not what God desires. God is not looking over Concord trying to find out who the most spiritually sounding individual is or the most religious looking individual is. He does not want to look at Concord and see a bunch of hypocrites and brown paper bags. You know, I remember growing up in church and all of a sudden the pastor would call somebody to, pr or to pray towards the end of the service and maybe he'd call on some joker back there and... Um, he would stand up to pray. Now, before service, I mean, I had the opportunity to talk to this guy. I mean, a little kid, knew the guy. I mean, he just talked like a normal person until it came time to pray. As soon as he was called on to pray, he would stand up and start speaking King James English. And I'm a little kid. Are y'all listening? Say yes. I'm a little kid, and I'm like, what happened to that dude? A moment ago, he was talking normal. So then I began to think, is that how you have to talk to God? Often I wonder if God doesn't look down on a lot of fellowships and listen to some dudes pray and be like, who are you? What are you doing? Talk normal to me. I know what you sound like. <laughs> so wild. Now, I don't know that guy's heart. I mean, you know, I don't, can't see his heart. Maybe he was talking to the Lord, and that was his way of communicating. Uh, but I know the Lord looks at our hearts, and he doesn't want us to be hypocrites. And that's not what the disciples wanted. When they saw Jesus praying, they didn't see a brown paper bag. They saw someone who was communing with God, and they were like, we want to talk to God like that. Teach us how. So they wanted an upgrade from hypocritical showmanship, but also they wanted an upgrade from meaningless chatter. Now, this is interesting. The disciples not only saw the quote-unquote religious people in the synagogues and the temples, but they also had the opportunity to watch the Gentiles during their day. And the Gentiles were individuals who did not worship the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they actually created their own gods. And in the course of creating their own gods, they also created their own prayer life. And their prayer life consisted of meaningless chatter. They would pick out phrases and they would repeat them over and over and over and over and over and over again until they fell into some state of trance, all right? So they had the opportunity, the disciples, to see these guys and their, quote, prayer life. And the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, actually made their own gods out of their own hands. And so they would create a god. Uh, you know, they give him legs so he would be able to stand up, arms so he'd be able to do something. They give him uh, eyes so that he would be able to see, a mouth so he would be able to talk. And then, of course, they had to make ears on their god so that he could hear. 
So then they would sit or stand in front of their God, typically burning incense, offering up some sort of sacrificial food, and they would repeat themselves over and over and over again, saying the same phrase, rocking back and forth until they fell into some sort of trance in hopes that God would hear their prayers and answer them. Only one problem with uh, talking to a false God in prayer, and that is you're talking to a false God in prayer. Are y'all out there? Can't hear. Because he don't exist. Y'all do get the point, right? Reminds me whenever I think of meaningless chatter of what went on in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah was a mighty prophet of God used mightily by the Lord. And on one occasion he had the opportunity to run into 450 of the prophets of Baal. And so Elijah came up with an idea that their God and his God would have some sort of a challenge Uh, towards one another and so they had this God challenge put together it's like let's build an altar and uh, you pray to your God and I'll pray to mine and whichever God answers by fire that's the one we'll bow down and worship so the 450 prophets of Baal you know thinking they outnumbered Elijah took the challenge to heart they built an altar and the Bible says from morning until lunchtime Uh, They were crying out this same exact thing over and over. They were saying, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Over and over and over again. Of course, Baal didn't answer. Does anybody know why Baal didn't answer? Because Baal don't exist, right? And so they prayed over and over and over again. And then around lunchtime, Elijah was eating his lamb sandwich. (laughs) It's my sanctified imagination. Y'all with me? But he looks over to these 450 uh, prophets, and the Bible says that he began to mock them. So he says to them, hey, I I tell you what, I bet your God's not answering because he's in the bathroom. That's in the Bible. 1 Kings 18. (laughs) That's pretty crazy, ain't it? And then he, then he goes and says, I, I, I bet he's on a journey. That's why I can't hear he's like he's on vacation. Maybe he'll be back in a few days. And then he looks at him again and uh, finally uh, ends up saying, you know what, uh, maybe your God's asleep. Uh, maybe you ought to talk louder. He can't hear you. you got to wake him up. And so the Bible says that from lunchtime until the evening, they began to scream out louder, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. They got louder and louder and louder. And the Bible says they even began to cut themselves, offering themselves up as bloody sacrifices unto their God and yet the Bible teaches, yeah, Bell never answered. But they were of the mindset that if they continued to say the same thing over and over and over and over again, eventually because of the repetitiveness of their nature and maybe even the sincerity of their heart, their God would answer. And yet he doesn't. Jesus spoke about these kinds of people in Matthew 6 and 7 says, When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Now, by the way, I didn't mean to leave you hanging on the story. Y'all remember Elijah? He did put his lamb sandwich down. And he called out on the one true and living God. And in one single second, God sent fire down that licked up the entire dust of the altar. And that day... The one true God answered. It's interesting, isn't it? So Jesus is more or less uh, like down with hypocritical showmanship, down with this meaningless chatter. 
That's what we want to upgrade from. We don't want that. So then the next logical question is, what do we want to upgrade to? What are we upgrading to? What is it? Here it is. It's an upgrade to an authentic fellowship with God. An authentic fellowship with God. In other words, when we pray, we aren't trying to look or act spiritual before God. Uh, we don't want to fall into meaningless chatter either. We really uh, want to commune. We want to fellowship. We want to get to know, uh, have connection with God. So how do we do it? How do we really experience an upgrade in our lives? And really, that's what we want to share with you over the next few weeks, how to upgrade your prayer life. And we look here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, and we see Jesus giving them a model prayer. And he says, here is how you are to pray. And what I want to share with you, not today altogether, but in the days ahead, including today, is five attitudes that I think uh, the Scripture encourages you and I to have while we pray. So five attitudes of prayer. And these will upgrade your prayer life as they are helping upgrade mine already. So let me give you the very first one. I believe that's the only one we'll talk about today. But let me give you the first one. Are you all ready? Are you guys over here ready? So first... A way to upgrade your prayer life is that you would have relational openness with God. That's the first attitude, relational openness. Now, with every single phrase that I give you over the next few weeks like this, I'm going to give you a sentence to define the terms, all right? So relational openness, what do we mean by that? It's relational openness is an attitude of transparency before the Lord where we can talk openly to him about whatever is going on inside of us as well as all around us. Now, where do we get the idea? We get it from Luke 11 and verse 2. So look at your Bible again. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, what's your Bible say? Let's try that again. When you pray, say, all right, everybody get in on this. All right, it's Father if you don't know what it is, all right? Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Now, listen, uh, Father is a term of endearment. A father is one who protects, provides, guides, and gives affirmation. And Jesus tells you and I that we are to view God as our father. Now, Chip Ingram, in his book, Good to Great in God's Eyes, writes this, and I quote, he says, the father-child familiarity is the kind of relationship Jesus taught in the model prayer. The almighty, transcendent God invites you to come to him with childlike dependence and call upon him as Abba, Father. You can know that you are deeply loved, that God has nothing but goodwill for you, and that nothing will ever come between you and him. That is as personal as it gets, end quote. Now, when we think of this concept of calling God our Father, we have to ask, who is this God which Jesus is speaking of? Uh, who is the God? So if he's like, all right, here's how you pray. You talk to God like this. You say, Father. Question, who is Father? Who is he speaking about? Well, Acts chapter 7 and verse 32 begins to teach us uh, where the Bible says that he is the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And somebody says, why did you bring that up? Why did you uh, mention the fact uh, that he's the same God as the Old Testament? Because there are a lot of liberal scholars uh, who would claim that in this moment, Jesus was actually introducing a new deity to us. But that's not the case. Uh, this is the same God of the Old Testament as in the New Testament. Uh, the, it's one God. And so it's unique here. It's not some introduction, not some new ideology, not some new theology. The thing that would have struck the disciples to be overwhelmingly amazing was the fact that they were encouraged to call God Father. Because when you read the Old Testament, you will find that uh, there's 
very seldom a reference to God as Father from the prophets. They would speak to him as Almighty God, the Lord of the angel armies. So many different depictions, Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, all of these are used to describe God. But here in the New Testament, Jesus is like, you want to talk to God? Here's what you ought to start with. Call him Dad. (laughs) Same God of the Old Testament. Ephesians 1 and 17 teaches us that he is the Father of glory. That is, he's the Father of splendor and brightness and amazing might. He's full of absolute goodness and purity. That's awesome, by the way. Colossians 1 and 3 teaches us that he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't be mistaken about the Trinity. There is one God. God expresses himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's perfect communion, perfect unity, fellowship, and connection within the Trinity. That is, and listen to this. This is awesome. Everybody listen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actually have conversations with one another. I want you to check this out because here's what's awesome. Jesus is inviting you and I. Are y'all listening? I'm serious. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Jesus is inviting you and I to enjoy a relationship with the Father just like he himself enjoys it. Just as Jesus calls God Father, we call him Father as well. Now I want you to think about the depth of relationship that God uh, places here before us. Matter of fact, think of it like this. You know how you act around people that you don't really know? You're real nice to them, right? You're kind of cordial, kind of give you a little, hey. But you know, there's some other people that you know a little bit better, right? Uh, They're not just acquaintances, but they are friends. And so you go a little deeper than the just casual, hey, how you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? You go a little deeper. Tell me how things are going with your mother. Uh, The conversation is a little bit deeper, but it's still kind of on the surface. But how about that person that really knows you, right? It's like your spouse. They really know you, don't they? It's like warts and all. Here I am. This is it, baby, right? I was just telling you what I said to Krista. But anyway, so uh, (laughs) this is how it rolls. But anyway, so you have deeper conversation, more meaningful conversation. You're getting to know one another extremely well. But here's the wild thing. Uh, God knows you greater than any person on the planet. Did you listen to this? God knows you deeper than any other person. And here's what I know about God. The Father really knows you. In Luke 12, the Bible teaches us that he knows every hair on our head. We also know in 1 Samuel that God not only knows what you look like on the outside, but he knows what you look like on the inside. See, the Lord looks at our hearts. He knows what you're thinking. And this is wild. He knows what you're feeling. He knows your struggles. He knows your successes. He knows everything about you that there is to know and more. He knows the past you, the present you, and the Lord even knows the future you. The Father really knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. But here's what's crazy is that the Father really knows you, and the Father still cares for you. To think that God really knows me and still cares for me overwhelms me. It's amazing for him to know this heart and still care for it. But you know, with full, complete knowledge, and you've got to listen to this or you are flat out going to miss it. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Are y'all listening on the back row? Listen closely. Here we go. With full, complete knowledge of who you would become before you became. 
The Holy Spirit inspired Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 to say this, cast all of your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Before you became, the Lord wanted you to cast all your cares on him. You know, in preparing for this message, I couldn't help but think about the relational openness that I have as a dad with my children. You know, I can come in uh, from work and uh, go and sit down in the living room on the chair and immediately oh, Gavin will come bebopping in there and jump in my lap and tell me what's going on at school and then pull out a knife and show it to me. He loves knives. And then I'm like, you didn't take that to school, did you? Because if you do, you can never go back. So don't do that. But it just chats it up. And then all of a sudden, Marley, the smallest one, she'll come in and jump in my lap and waller all over me constantly without end. I'm not bitter about it. I'm better. But anyway, so uh, she's there. She talks to me, you know, kind of tells me what's going on. I really don't understand her. But we have a conversation. What in the world? Why do they think they can come in the living room where I'm sitting trying to watch TV and chill out and jump in my lap? Who do they think they are? Who do they think I am? Well, they think I'm their daddy. Well, they're right. But because I'm their father, they have this relational openness that they can just run right into where I am. And Jesus says, hey, hey, you want to upgrade your prayer life? Talk to God and say this, Father. You and I have the privilege to run in to the presence of Almighty God and sit in his lap, tell him every single thing that's going on in our hearts and every single thing that's going around us in our lives. And God absolutely loves to hear the voice of his children. But we have that privilege to run right in and call him Father. Now, you know, the pastoral side of me at this point uh, feels like I need to... Um, Speak for a moment, a little more tenderly. I know that there are some people, when they hear the word father, uh, their stomach turns because they immediately think of their earthly father. And when you think about your dad, uh, you have a negative connotation which rushes to the forefront of your mind. Uh, maybe you've experienced some abuse from your father physically, emotionally, sexually, or verbally. So when you hear the term father, there's like this stone wall that goes up between you and heaven. And so I want you to know uh, that I have prayed specifically for you concerning this message. And first, as trite as it may sound, I would like to tell you how deeply sorry I am that your earthly father treated you in such a manner. But I prayed also that God's loving and tender hand would comfort you as you struggle to cast down any negative thoughts concerning God as your father. So if you have those negative ideas about the title, Father, come before God and tell him about it. He knows this. He's not shocked by it. And so you can share with him. And the Bible teaches that he is a healer. And he heals. And I would say don't let your earthly father overshadow the relationship you can have with your heavenly father. So even you who have been abused and have experienced detrimental uh, relationship with your earthly father, I'm trying to talk to you now. God, by his grace, will expose to you from heaven what a true father should look like and act like. 
He desires to do that. You can come to him and share with him your concerns, your problems, your issues. And he listens. And he guides, he cares, he helps, he heals. It's what God does. Y'all out there say yes. So this morning, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about upgrading our prayer life. We come into a relationship with God the Father with relational openness. And in conclusion, I want you to see that only those who have a relationship with God through Jesus can actually call God their Father. So listen, if you hadn't listened to all uh, service today, you need to listen now. All right? Jesus has a legitimate right to call God his Father. And why does he have that legitimate right? Because he's God's Son. So he has the legitimate right to call God Father. However, you and I, not so much. We're not born with a legitimate right to call God Father. The Bible teaches we are born in sin. God is holy. We're going to see that next week. But God is holy, and because of his holiness, he cannot allow sin to come into his presence. And so we are born in sin. We are sinners by choice. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. And the Bible teaches if we remain that way, we'll spend eternity separated from God in hell, uh, paying for our sin. So we're born with sin. We can't call God Father because we've got sin. He's not our dad. In fact, the scriptures teach us in John's gospel that the devil is our dad. So in this moment, uh, the phenomenal news is that God's grace is willing to reach down and take a bunch of babies and children who are not his and adopt them into his family. And the Bible teaches this in John 1 and 12. But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And so whenever you come into faith uh, into Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the family, and now you can call God your dad. Romans chapter 8 teaches that the Holy Spirit uh, within us cries out through us, Abba, Father. That literally means Daddy. That's what it's speaking of. Abba, Father. It gives that relationship where we are the children. He is the Father. And when we come into a personal relationship through Christ to God, we immediately begin to cry out, You are my Dad. And that's where it's at. And uh, one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the adopted child is that he shows you and explains to you and empowers you to call God your dad. Now, when I get to a message like this and begin to uh, speak about this reality of salvation, people begin to tune out and they begin to close up their ears. It's like, okay, he's telling everybody I need to get saved. I don't need to listen to that. Yeah, you do. So if you're here this morning and you don't know God personally, your prayers are not heard in heaven. All right, so this whole few weeks, I'm going to be talking about prayer. You can't talk to God until you first pray and say, God, I'm a sinner who cannot save myself. I need forgiveness. I trust Jesus. Death is mine. I want to follow after you. That's the first prayer God hears from an unbeliever. And when you pray that way, then God redeems you. He's like, come on into the living room. You're my child. I'm your dad. And some of you haven't experienced that yet. 
And I beg you in Christ's name that you would not continue with a rebellious heart toward your heavenly Father and spend eternity in hell experiencing the wrath of God because you were too stinking stubborn to listen to the grace of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So God's gospel reaches out to you. God's gospel calls you to himself. The whole point of the gospel is God. When you come to the gospel, you come to God. He's your dad. And some of you need that. So if you haven't been adopted, good news, the agency is still open. Still opportunity. Bad news, it won't always be. So if you haven't been saved, man, get saved. Good night. And then come back and we'll keep talking about prayer. Y'all down with that? Let's pray. Father, uh, speak to hearts even now.